0: One of the chemo drugs that they gave her, like, they told Annie, you can't, don't touch her or else you won't be able to have kids.
1: When they play together, they play great together. And when they don't, they're Mm -hmm. at each other's throats. She got sick on the way down, on the drive down. So uh, we took her to the doctor when we got to Raleigh.
0: I can I can tell you what it what it didn't do and it didn't make me a super parent.
2: I'm Valerie Best. I'm Lizzie Heiselt and this is Cocoon Stories of Gestation. It's not a pregnancy podcast or a show about babies. It's where we talk about the complexities of growing a family and about what was happening to you when all people could think about was your growing belly. These are your stories. And today, it's Annie and Ben's story.
3: I've been looking forward to sharing this one because it's one that's had a really strong impact on my life. I wouldn't say I had, like, a front row seat to it, but second row, for sure.
2: You know, I've been hearing about Annie and Ben for almost as long as I've lived in Brooklyn. I think they left about the same time that I was just becoming acquainted with your circle of friends, and they've always held a somewhat mythic status in my mind, just based on what I've heard of their story.
3: You mean like how they um, went on vacation and never came back?
2: Yeah, something about that. But I think there was more to it.
3: Like nothing seriously important. Like babies and cancer and chemo and stuff like that.
2: Life-changing events for sure.
3: The thing that's always really struck me about Annie and Ben is how they didn't let these catastrophic events discourage them from living their lives. It's like... They had every right to let these events change the course of their life, and they didn't.
2: Okay, wait. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Can you take me back a bit?
1: Like, when, like, go all the way back? The first time I met Valerie was at a, what
3: were we doing? It was a costume fitting for the spirit of ricks
1: yes the spirit of ricks (laughs) that's right we had to dress in in, what was it for i don't know so
3: these are my friends
1: my name is annie
3: howington
0: i'm ben howington and we're the howingtons
3: (laughs) i've known annie for ages we did theater together in college in idaho we piled around with Uh, a third friend. We drank a lot of sodas together. We were late for class together. We spent a lot of time at Wendy's after class talking and talking and talking. And then Annie met Ben and they got married kind of quickly. (laughs) I met James. We got married not so quickly. We went our separate ways and then magically we all ended up in Brooklyn together. It was kind of a dream actually. James was going to grad school. Ben got a job. Annie and I were along for a ride
1: it was this beautiful, wonderful reunion for almost two years. And then, and then, Lila and then we bailed. It. It Lila ruined it.
3: <laughs> Lila is the Howington's daughter. She's their second child. Jack is the oldest, and he was three at the time. But then there was Lila, the baby, practically a newborn. And she was a good one at that.
1: Yeah, she was awesome. She was a really good baby. Super happy and pleasant and chubby and really sweet.
3: Yeah, I can attest to that. She was a good baby. I was there when Jack turned three when Lila was, remember she was doing that thing where she was bugging out her eyes? Mm -hmm. We thought it was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like She was just really surprised at everyone. You know, and I remember standing in your house, Annie, when she stopped holding her head up. And you were like, yo, she's just being, you know, I don't know. She's just being tired. She's being lazy. She's you know, she stopped. She stopped doing this like a couple of days ago. I think that's what you said. So we didn't know it at the time, but the eye bugging and the lazy head were not as funny as it seemed in the moment. I'll let Annie take it from here.
1: Yeah, we were um, at the time we were living in Brooklyn. We came to Raleigh just long weekend for Memorial Day weekend. And she got sick on the way down, on the drive down. So uh, we took her to the doctor when we got to Raleigh, and we thought it was a virus. She was just vomiting, like baby stuff. Um, And the doctor thought the same thing and told us to just give her fluids and kind of wait it out. But a couple days later, she was still very lethargic and just not acting like herself, and she actually... We thought that there was something wrong with her sight. Like, I thought she had gone blind. She stopped focusing and stopped looking at me and wouldn't follow anything that you put in front of her face. So that's when we knew something was not right, and we took her to the emergency room at that point. She presented with with sight problems, so they did a CT scan. That's when they found the tumor in her head.
0: a golf ball sized tumor, and she was three and a half months old so
1: but they don't know for they don't know for sure, but they assume that it's it started in utero and so that's why it was that size by the time she was three
3: months old. Things happened pretty quickly once they had the diagnosis yes, she had
1: surgery um immediately like two days two days later and um
0: and I feel like that was just so they could like do all the scans and prepped to go in there if they could have gotten they just wanted to get in there as soon as possible because of all the pressure that was in there
3: they'd been in North Carolina on vacation but Lila's diagnosis changed that pretty quickly they had the option of having her flown back to New York to be treated at Sloan Ketterling but decided to stay in North Carolina where they had family where they could have the help and support which they might not have had in Brooklyn it was sad for me and James but it was a smart and necessary move Lila's treatments took over their lives. She had the surgery two days after her diagnosis, and then over the next seven months went through eight rounds of chemo. During chemo treatments, Annie stayed with Lila in the hospital during the day, then Ben came at night after he was done working. He kept his job in New York and worked remotely. They would switch keys in the parking lot, and Annie would go home to tuck Jack into bed. But when Lila came home in between chemo treatments, Annie tells me it was a different kind of madness.
1: Eyes... Don't know how we did it. <laughs> like, I, I don't. The one thing that I remember that sticks out to me that it just sort of blows my mind is whenever she was done, um, when she would first come home, she, cause she her chemo, she was inpatient for like three days. And then she would come home. So she she came home at her sickest and would only be able to take like one to two ounces of formula at a time, it, it, be able to keep it down. And to for a baby to stay hydrated, she, they need 24 ounces of formula. So we were having to feed her through a, an NG tube in her nose um, every hour of all day long and all night long. She constantly yeah. had to be fed. So just that, <laughs> like, I can't imagine if my children woke me up in the middle of the night at this point. Like, ah, <gasps> I'm just... It's too much, you know. So to think that we would have we were setting our alarm to wake up every hour and a half to feed her—it's just it was that kind of stuff. Between feeding her, she was on anywhere from five to seven medications. On top of that, like she was on an antibiotic and um, anti-nausea and different stuff at different points so it was measuring or trying to work out her food versus when she got these drugs because some of them were once a day some of them were twice some of them were three times a day so it was just this constant state of what does she need right now (laughs) you know um in between other regular baby stuff napping and playing and reading and trying to do normal things
3: it seemed to me like they did a really good job of that, keeping things normal. But then again, they couldn't have done it any other way. This was their normal. Strange and impossible as it was to everyone else.
0: I I I have memories of, you know, going through the mall with her in a little, little uh not an ergo, but a baby bjorn and having everybody stare at my my little uh my little alien baby. <laughs> <laughs> She was bald as a cue ball, and she had hoses coming out of her.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> You know, dep- yeah. the
0: NG tube was coming out of her nose. I mean, she looked very sick. She looked more sick than she really was.
1: But I only notice that now when I look at pictures. Yeah. Like, when, when we were in it, I didn't look at her and think she looked like a sick baby. I thought she was cute because she didn't have any mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. And, you know... But looking back, she was very pale and like no eyebrows, no nothing. So it was it was obvious that she was going through chemotherapy. But you and you know that obviously when you're going through it. But mm-hmm. that's not what you what you see.
0: It's because you you were in love just like me. I mean, I'm chubby, but you right. you don't see it. It's
1: the same thing.
3: <laughs> in the midst of it, Annie and Ben couldn't see the full picture. They didn't know whether Lila would live or die. They didn't fully understand what they were facing. In fact, when they first met Lila's oncologist, all they had to go on, like a lot of us probably, was the education provided by television.
1: So I was like, okay, on ER, they would say, it <laughs> dates me a little bit, but on, you know, they would say, well, what are the odds or whatever. So we asked her oncologist, like, what are her odds? And, and I think that's a pretty normal thing, but he. He was like, I don't do odds. She, she either lives or she doesn't live. So it's 100% or 0%. Which was a little off-putting, but ultimately, um, I really respected it. I was like, yeah. okay, well, what do we need to do? But yeah, there was certainly a giant unknown. We didn't truly know, at least at first, like what we were dealing with at all.
3: So they did what they needed to do. They asked friends, me and James among them, to pack up their apartment, called on family to help with Jack, and by September, after three rounds of chemo, they thought they were done and that Lila was cancer-free. No such luck. A follow-up scan showed that the tumor had returned. Or one of them did, anyway. Apparently she had two different types of cancer. The first one was gone, but the second had recurred, which meant they were back at it for four more rounds of chemo. All told, she had seven rounds of chemo and a stem cell transplant. She turned one in the hospital, recovering from the stem cell transplant.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it was also like right when she looked the sickest out of her whole life. Yeah. So her, her... And they made
3: her
1: a cake. She had a cake and she didn't touch it. You know, she had zero appetite at that point And I was a little sad.
0: I think that was like at the time when we couldn't even touch her, right?
1: No. I mean, they threw her a little party.
0: Yeah. one One of the chemo drugs that they gave her, like they told Annie, you can't. Uh don't touch her or else you won't be able to have kids. <laughs> like it like it it came it seeped through the skin and they had to bathe her every two hours or four hours. Every four, every four hours. Four hours she needed a sponge bath or else it would burn her skin. Like that's that's how potent it was.
3: Of course we didn't know it at the time, but even at this point when Lila was her sickest, having another kid was on their minds. And surprising as it may seem, it wasn't a hard decision for them.
0: Well, no, I,
1: I don't remember it being a long conversation. It wasn't a long
0: conversation. It was, you, you it was, said you wanted it, it was and a, I said, okay. It was a
1: conversation. <laughs> we had a conversation about it.
0: I thought, I thought, I thought you were a little crazy wanting another child so soon, but you know.
1: But I didn't know how soon it was going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to put it off.
3: Technically, Lila was in remission when they started trying to have another baby, but she still had the most difficult treatment ahead of her—a high dose of chemotherapy with stem cell rescue. She was one of the early patients who was treated this way.
0: Basically, they give you a lethal amount of chemo the very last time, and then, but earlier on in the process, they they harvest your own stem cells to to uh, to jumpstart your immune system again. So after after they basically kill you or kill your immune system. Then they feed them back to you and that jump starts them just like they do with, you know, bone marrow transplant patients, except it's your own stem cells that you're getting back. So the odds of it taking are a lot better. Um, but, but apparently that's more common now. Like that's, it's more commonplace with a lot of people. I've, I've at least heard of it more. Um, I know that our insurance company initially rejected it, um, rejected it because they thought it was experimental, um, in our own college I had yeah, to call the- them up directly
3: that last nearly lethal dose of chemo with the stem cell rescue seemed to work and on december 4th lilo's declared cancer free it'd be nice to have a story about what it was like for me to hear that news but i honestly don't remember i do know that on some level i wasn't surprised like i couldn't imagine the outcome being any different like of course she got better what else could possibly happen which is more a reflection on my immaturity and naivete than any kind of premonition. I once asked Annie if she felt like that too, like it was inevitable that Lila recovered. She said, no, not at all. We'll find out more about what happened with Lila, Annie, and Ben, and what happened with their plans in a minute. But before we get there, let's take a quick break.
2: we take a timeout to discuss the story within this story. Cancer. Specifically, childhood cancer. First, a few statistics. Every day, 43 children in the U.S. are diagnosed with cancer, and 12% of those children diagnosed do not survive. The average age of diagnosis is 6 years old. More than 40,000 children undergo treatment for cancer each year, and this one was new to me. of children who survive cancer suffer late effects such as infertility, heart failure, and secondary cancers. Now, as it happens, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, so it's a perfect time to get more information and get involved. When asked, Annie told us that there were a lot of websites out there all dedicated to raising money, but not all of the money goes to research, so do your homework. But to get you started, here's a quick list of reliable organizations that Annie gave us. First, Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, at alexslemonade.org. It has a great list of 30 things you can do to help raise awareness and funds throughout the month. Or there's St. Baldrick's Foundation, which is at stbaldrick's.org, and they have six ways you can help kids with cancer in the month of September, which include donating, hosting your own fundraiser, or contacting your local Ronald McDonald House for volunteer opportunities. There's also the American Cancer Society at cancer.org, which has a wealth of information and resources. Now, Lila was treated at Duke University Medical Center, which holds a yearly 5K race in April called Angels Among Us. If you're in the Raleigh area, you can participate or, of course, you can donate directly. So get on that. Welcome back. Uh, We were just about to find out what was happening with Lila and Annie and Ben. Uh, So let's get to it.
3: So Lila was still getting her blood work done a few times a week when Annie found out she was expecting their third child. And although this pregnancy was intentional and hoped for, it didn't mean it was free of worry or guilt. Along with the normal concerns about having a healthy pregnancy, I wondered if Annie was worried about having to split her attention between Jack, Lila, and the new baby.
1: Yes. And I was, I was also concerned about it being a girl. Like I, I was like, if this is another girl, oh my goodness! Like I just don't know. I feel bad. Lila just got so much of our attention then, not because she was a girl, but just because of the situation and sibling rivalry. Anyway, just having to have another girl, it just seemed, it just seemed unfair. And I don't really know why i felt that way but i i was just like oh i feel bad for this baby if it's a girl
0: we found when we found out that it was a girl we also found out that the due date was lila's birthday
3: (laughs) yeah they were like (laughs) oh i bet you're all wondering the same thing i was why do it then with all the trauma that they had already been through the worry about lila's cancer occurring and the possible sibling rivalry why not just call it quits annie and ben said that having another kid was always part of the plan stopping because of Lyla's cancer just didn't feel right.
1: It, it is just as simple as life goes on, you know, and this was an experience in our lives that was huge and like a life changer, a game changer for sure. But we go to the doctor once a year now for her to get an MRI. And she's doesn't take any medications. She's not in any sort of therapy for, like, physical therapy, occupational therapy. She's not doing any of that stuff. Our life is pretty sweet. So I just think it's an experience, but it is not an experience that needs to define the rest of your life. It's It can define how you have changed as a person, but it can't define how everyone and all of you like lives for the rest of your life
0: Mm -hmm. having another child that that defines the rest of your life you know um you know if we didn't have any more kids after Lila then I feel like the rest of our lives we would just we'd have two kids um knowing that we had originally planned to have at least one more but we stopped because Lila had cancer um and I would just always be
3: there. I had to wonder though what it was like to be Annie walking around with a newly cancer free baby and a growing belly. I mean, people can be mm, meddlesome.
1: I had a lot of conversations with people. Like they either said I was crazy or they were like really impressed, <laughs> you know it, it was either a super admirable thing, or I was nuts um, and I was aware of what I looked like going to doctor's appointments with this child that is still you know recovering and and getting over a pretty um difficult experience and Huge with another baby, like it probably I know I got looks, and it probably started conversations that I wasn't a part of, but the people that that I cared about their opinion were very positive about it
0: and now i honestly i some i I tend to forget a lot of times that we even went through it
1: well yeah, I mean. it's a a good place when it's not something you think about every day, you know, or even every week. I think you're in a, I think that's a good thing. So.
3: And obviously life did go on. Alice was born the day before Lila turned two and the two girls were normal sisters. Lila's status as a cancer survivor doesn't seem to play much into their relationship.
1: They, they can play just like any, I mean, it's the same. I have a sister and so it's, it's the same sort of thing. When they play together, they play great together. And when they don't, they're mm-hmm. at each other's throats. And they've so. allowed
0: us to do joint birthday parties so far. But this year it was half the room was decorated as frozen and the other half was decorated as soccer. And so I, I think so those days yeah. are limited. It
1: was one party Cutting in half. two parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cut in half. That's right.
3: Each of the kids seem to have made peace with the fact that Lila went through something difficult without feeling jealous. And the only special treatment Lila gets, aside from an annual brain scan, is that she gets to pick where they eat on December 4th, her remission anniversary. Ben says Jack especially deserves some credit for being kind of a rock star of a preschooler.
0: I feel like maybe I didn't give Jack as much credit as he really deserved back then, just because not only was he, you know, he's the oldest, Um, and he was three when, or about three when, when Lila was born. So not only is it the whole issue that the oldest has when a new baby comes in and takes all of mom's and dad's attention, but not, but this baby also had cancer right off the bat. And so it took 100% of mom and dad's attention. So he basically went from being the only child to not even having parents and, 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 he, and he turned out great, you know?
3: There are no... I don't know how that happened. Noticeable scars. <laughs> so far. <laughs> Jack may have come through the experience virtually unscathed, but as you might expect, helping their baby girl beat cancer left a mark on Annie and Ben. It may not be obvious to everyone, but they can certainly feel and see it.
1: With Jack, when he was a baby, I was, I was impatient as a mom, like... I was like, okay, when is he going like, to make noise and when's he going to roll over and sit up and crawl? Like, I was just waiting for the next thing to happen and I was wanting it to happen. Um, and that, those things obviously didn't happen with Lila. Like, she was in the hospital for the first year. So she didn't roll over um, until she was 12 months old. So all those little milestones were delayed. I think it it helped me just enjoy and to not stress and push and compare and all the things that that moms do, whether they compare with their other kids or compare to their friends' kids who are roughly the same age. I just was really able to chill out about stuff like that and just enjoy like, Georgia is at my favorite age right now. Like toddling mm. around and talking so much and ninety five percent of it doesn't make sense. Like I just I just love it. So I just am really trying to like savor the moments um and not worry like when's the next thing? When's she gonna string two words together and blah, blah blah. I just try not to to worry about it. Try not to stress about it.
3: And maybe there's this expectation of what this kind of experience can do to you, how it can change you and better you, but Ben sets the record straight.
0: I can, I can tell you what it, what it didn't do. And it didn't make me a super parent. Um, I think before I would have thought that anybody who had gone through this, they would just, they'd have it all together and they would, you know, really know how to parent the best better than anyone else and i still feel completely inadequate as a father you know yeah we went through it all and i look back on it and i i I feel like it was a different person not in not in a bad way like i've regressed since then but just um i I still feel like I'm just trying to figure it out and keep it all together
1: (laughs) we're yeah we're just as crappy as anyone any any other set of parents
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's what they say. It's not true. But their story doesn't end with them. There's Annie's brother-in-law, who was surprised that they treated Lila just like any other kid when he saw Annie discipline Lila for being naughty. He thought they should give her a pass after all she'd been through. But he changed his tune after he became a pediatrician and saw in his own practice what happens to coddled, chronically ill children. They did it right, he said later. And there's me, too, of course. I wasn't a mom at the time and when my daughter Edie was born, Lila had been in remission for a few years, but well all through Edie's babyhood I would think about Lila. I would think about how little Lila was when she got sick. You know, and then like after I had Posey, I would think about Jack and like, you know, kind of what you guys did with him or, you know, and how you must have felt about having to kind of you know, just see him so infrequently. Yeah, I mean, I think probably all through the the lives of both of my children, I've contextualized my experience with what you guys went through. Because, you know, I wasn't in North Carolina, but I, you know.
0: You were a part of it.
1: Certainly, yeah, you were a part of it.
3: I was, you know, I was there when Jack turned three, when Lila was, remember she was doing that thing where she was bugging out her eyes?
1: Mm -hmm. We thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Like, she was just really surprised at everyone. You know, and I remember standing in your house, Annie, when she stopped holding her head up. And you were like, yo, she's just being, you know, I don't know. She's just being tired. She's being lazy. She's, you know, she stopped. She stopped doing this like a couple of days ago. I think that's what you said. It's, I mean, it was certainly impactful then, but, but with my own children, I don't, I don't know. I just can't see how I could have avoided, you know, sort of tracking, tracking her progress through my own children in some way. So, yeah, like I said. The bugged-out eyes turned out not to be as funny as they seemed at the time. And while it's true that I was in Brooklyn when Annie and Ben were finding out that Lila had cancer, I was there as much as I could be. James and I helped pack their apartment when they decided to stay in North Carolina for Lila's treatment. I flew home with Annie, and James drove their truck and all their stuff to their new place in North Carolina.
1: And I would go back to New York while Lila was going through treatments, and I was going up to Brooklyn to see Valerie... Like almost every six months, it was just this. It was your little vacation, wonderful you know? therapy that I <laughs> that I needed. I didn't have a therapist or anything, so that's what I did. And Ben and, was very kind about letting me escape for like four days at a time.
0: Yeah, she'd leave. Just to she'd leave Lila and Jack. And get away just from go by it all. Herself.
1: It was awesome. We would just eat and. Sometimes not even leave the apartment, and it was awesome. <laughs> we didn't leave the apartment. That's
3: ridiculous.
1: We d- that one trip, we just colored and uh, listened to This American Life and ate, and it was great.
3: No, <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds right actually. Now that you're saying, that. yeah, I heard glass. It yeah. sounds like was our therapist. Public radio therapy sessions aside, watching Annie and Ben deal with the cancer, and then. Continue to live their lives as they had planned to, almost without a hiccup, is something that I've thought a lot about in the years since then. I just really admired the way they didn't let cancer have a place in their family. I just, I I do want to say that I was, I don't know, like maybe I was like right in the middle. I actually don't remember ever feeling surprised that you guys were having that Annie, you were pregnant with and again with Alice, but I in like, I don't actually remember you telling me at all. I'm sure you did, but I don't remember it, but I have ever since thought to myself how incredibly brave it was of you to, to do that, to just like be unafraid to move on with your life. You know, like in, in the way that you do with good friends when you're impressed with them, like I never told you. or maybe I did, and I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sure you did. You're really good about that. I don't know it's just always been such an example to me of someone who is just courageous about about her own life and not letting circumstance dictate to her but rather the other way around
1: thank you lady i appreciate that
3: So, those are my friends, Annie and Ben.
2: Cool friends.
3: Yeah, I know, right?
2: I know we hear a lot that you can't always choose the situation you're in, but you can choose the way you respond to it. I don't always feel like it's easy to see what that actually means, but this is it. They basically said, yeah, the cancer came, but we're not giving it a place at our table. We have other people we want to sit there. That's pretty brave and bold when something shows up at your door like that to, you know, slam it in its face. More or less. Yeah,
3: like, kapow, take that, cancer. It's been really inspiring for me to watch them and be close to them. I mean, they're my friends, they're normal people, but they handle the situation so gracefully. And it feels like they took the good things from it. Like, there could have been a lot of bitterness or anger or resentment losing a year of their life, like a year of their daughter's life. And instead, what they took was the patience and humility and perspective.
2: I think that's a really great gift to be able to do that. Thanks for sharing them with us. I appreciate it, lady.
3: We should probably be thanking them.
2: True, true. Thanks, Annie and Ben. Thanks, Lila and Jack and Alice and Little Georgia. Who else should we thank?
3: Probably Ben Howell for the music and Ryan. Rock star Ryan Barnhart for editing this thing.
2: And Micah for doing the website and everything else.
3: Everything else. And thanks to all of you for listening and sharing your stories. I'm Valerie Best.
2: And I'm Lizzie Heiselt. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation.
3: And remember, this isn't a podcast about babies. This is a podcast about you.
2: So if you have a story to share, go to our website, cocoonstories.com, and click the share your story button. Or join us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash cocoon stories, Twitter at cocoon underscore stories, or Instagram, just at cocoon stories. One word. We're here for you,
3: and we hope you'll be here for us in two weeks when we share Lizzie's story.
2: Me? this Lizzie? Yes.
3: I think we're going to learn a little bit more about how Cocoon came to be.